the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now, if you are a true Christian, then as I said, you have faith in Jesus Christ to save you for all of eternity. But the kind of faith that Stephen had, that Luke tells us about, that all of us should have, is faith that God is sovereign. So that you not only intellectually believe that he's in control of world events, but you believe with all of your heart that he's in control of every single event and circumstance in your life. And you trust him. You believe that there are no accidents. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance. You trust him, but you trust him for what? Well, you trust him that he's using all the events of life to make you more like Jesus Christ in terms of your character. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches us about the sovereignty of God. for you. Do you struggle with worry or fear, anxiety, maybe even jealousy, resentment, anger? Those times when we do, we are not trusting God to be who his word reveals him to be. Welcome again to Verse by Verse as we are continuing with our new series, Stephen's Defense Before the Sanhedrin. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. As we are going to see in today's program, Stephen is a man for us to emulate because he's a man who reminds us of Christ. As we are going to see today, his life was full of faith, and that's exactly how we should live also. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So let's get into today's program and see what we can learn from Stephen's life of faith. Stephen is a man for us to emulate because he's a man who reminds us of Christ. This is how he lived, being full of faith. And that's exactly how all of us should live. The writer to the Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please God. That's not how all of us live, though. Even if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, that you have placed your trust, your confidence in him for all of eternity, that Christ is your Savior, you may still find that you have a hard time trusting him for other things in life. And so you struggle with worry, with fear, anxiety, even jealousy, resentment, anger. Why? Because you are not trusting God to be who his word reveals him to be. He is the sovereign one. The sovereign one, meaning that he is in control of every single event and detail 
in life, not only in world history, but in your life and in my life today and tomorrow and every day. Now, if you are a true Christian, then, as I said, you have faith in Jesus Christ to save you for all of eternity. But the kind of faith that Stephen had, that Luke tells us about, that all of us should have, is faith that God is sovereign. So that you not only intellectually believe that he's in control of world events, but you believe with all of your heart that he's in control of every single event and circumstance in your life. And you trust him. You believe that there are no accidents. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance. You trust him, but you trust him for what? Well, you trust him that he's using all the events of life to make you more like Jesus Christ in terms of your character. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches us about the sovereignty of God in Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. Here's what Paul said. And we know, not that we understand this, but we know this, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What Paul is teaching us is that God is so sovereign, though he doesn't use the word sovereign here, this is obviously his point. God is so sovereign that he uses everything in your life and in my life, the good, the bad, the neutral. He uses all of that and causes all of that to work together for good. So the question is, what good is that? What is he talking about? The next verse explains it. For those whom he foreknew, that means those he has ordained, not those he just knew ahead of time, those he foreknew, he also, folks watch this, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. God is so sovereign that he uses all of the events of life, even those events that are not particularly happy or don't make us happy, he uses all of that to make us more like Christ. And this is what we trust him for. We believe that this is true. He's using it to shape us and conform us to the very character of Christ, to make us more holy, more patient, more loving, more kind, more compassionate. In other words, you have faith that he's using everything in your life to conform you to be more Christ-like. Now, how do you get this kind of faith? Well, First of all, it begins at your salvation. Every true Christian has faith in Christ. This kind of faith, because faith is a gift, the Bible says. You don't muster it up. It's given to you. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, meaning not of anything you do, it is the gift of God, Paul said. You don't work for a gift, it's given to you, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. But when Paul says it is the gift of God, he means salvation as well as faith. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift that God gives to us. That's why we believe on Christ. So all who know Christ have this faith. They received it the moment they trusted Jesus for salvation. But the way that this faith is nurtured and developed so that it is strong faith, like Stephen's faith, is by seeing and believing the truth in Scripture about God being sovereign. And then you apply that truth to every situation in your life. 
Listen to what God has revealed about himself in terms of his sovereignty. Now, we don't always understand. In fact, we don't understand about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. No one can reconcile that. But just listen to these verses that God presents in his word about how sovereign he is. For example, and I've just chosen a sampling of them. There are many. But Psalm 33, 10 and 11, the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. What he means by this is that nations, presidents, prime ministers, kings, they may have plans, but God frustrates those plans in order to accomplish his plan. Their plans don't stand. His plans do. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. God overrules what nations decide to do. And when he makes a decision of what should be done, it will stand and no one will overrule that. Psalm 115, verse 3. I love this. The verse before it says, where is our God? The psalmist answers, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Nobody dictates to God what he should do. He does whatever he pleases. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The mind of man plans his way. Isn't that so true? We make plans, but the Lord directs his steps. You may make plans, but God will see to it that he directs your steps as to what he wants accomplished. Lamentations 3, verse 37. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. If the Lord commands it, it will happen. Listen, these are significant truths that you and I need to see and make sure they are deep within our hearts, that we believe them as convictions. Here are some important words about God's sovereignty taken from a classic book that if you've not read, you should, Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. He writes this, nothing is so small or trivial as to escape the attention of God's sovereign control. Nothing is so great as to be beyond his power to control it. The insignificant sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his will. The mighty Roman Empire cannot crucify Jesus Christ unless that power is given to it by God. And what is true for the sparrow and for Jesus is true for you and me. No detail of your life is too insignificant for your father's attention. No circumstance so big that he cannot control it. Now, Stephen recognized this truth about God, that he's sovereign, that the Lord controlled all of the events connected, certainly to the history of the Jewish people. And when we go through Stephen's defense in chapter 7, this defense before the Jewish leaders, you're going to see that he also saw, in addition to God being sovereign, he saw that God was good and loving. Why? Because he will tell them, and we're reading it, he will tell us how God had the best interests of the Jewish people and always met their needs, always provided for them. Therefore, his point being is that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. That's exactly how you and I need to see the Lord. If we're going to be controlled by faith like Stephen's faith, we need to see the Lord like that. Sovereign, good, loving. Is that how you see God? Not out to get you, Not out to make your life miserable, but if you're a Christian, he's out to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Sovereign, loving, good. 
seeing him like that, then you trust him with your life, your circumstances, your disappointments, your needs, the people who bother you, all of that is designed by God to make you more Christ-like. That's the kind of faith that Mark Stephen. He was a man full of faith. But there is a second virtue that Luke tells us characterized Stephen. Not only was he a man of faith, he was also a man in submission to the Lord. We go back again at verse 5. We see that in introducing us to Stephen, Luke tells us that not only was he a man full of faith, but we read he was also a man full of the Holy Spirit. Once again, the thought that we've already mentioned, is that of being under the control. That's what full means, under the control, under the domination of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the third person of the triune Godhead or the Trinity. Now, the best explanation biblically of what it means to be under the control of the Spirit is found in two parallel passages, Ephesians 5, verse 18, and then Colossians 3, verse 16. I want you to see that essentially these are the same things, though different words are used. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 18, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't be under the control of alcohol, but be under the control of the Spirit of God. Then watch what happens, watch the results when one is under the spirit of God's control. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. When you are under the control of the spirit of God, you want to sing to him. And you do sing to him, verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. When you are under the control of the Spirit of God, you are thankful, not complaining, but thankful. Now, keep all this in mind. We go to Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. All right, then watch the results of the word of Christ dwelling richly within you because it's the same thing as being filled with the Spirit. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So you look at this, you have to make the conclusion that to be filled with the Spirit means that you have the word of Christ abiding richly within you. And that means that you are in submission to God's word. You're obedient to it because when we obey the Bible, we are under the Spirit's control. Why do I say that? Because the Bible is the voice of the Spirit in written form. When you obey the book, you're under the control of the Spirit of God. You've let the word of God dwell in you richly. Listen, Stephen didn't simply know the details of Old Testament biblical history. He wasn't simply knowledgeable about Bible stories and characters. He approached Scripture with an obedient, surrendered heart, a heart that was in submission to the will of God no matter what. If you want to follow in this man's footsteps, you not only have to master the Word of God and know it, but you have to be mastered by the Word of God so that you are constantly under its authority in total submission to the Spirit of God's words, which is the Bible. But having told us what Stephen was like when he was chosen by the apostles to be a deacon, 
full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. That's why they chose him to be a deacon. But starting in verse 8, Luke now tells us that Stephen's ministry expanded to more than distributing food. And in telling us about this new ministry, Luke tells us more about Stephen's character as he reveals a third virtue. He was a man full of grace. Verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, as you can see from this verse, Stephen's role in the early church went beyond waiting on tables. He was also given the ability by God to perform miracles, and no doubt these miracles were healings among the people. And he was able to do this apparently because of his close association with the apostles so that he was, in all actuality, an extension of their ministry. But what I want you to notice is that Luke tells us that in connection with these miracles that Stephen had the virtue of grace. Luke says of him he was full of grace, which we've already determined being full means under the control of grace. So the question we are faced with is, what does Luke mean by grace? Well, when scripture speaks of grace, it refers to God's divine favor. When we speak of God's grace, we mean that God is doing us a favor. In other words, grace is God's unmerited favor being poured out to individuals. It's just the opposite of working to earn something. It is God giving you something by being kind and merciful to you, something that you did not deserve. That's why when the Bible says we are saved, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. It is God's favor to us. It is a gift that God gives. But grace isn't only evidence in our salvation. Every time God bestows something on us as an act of his kind favor, he demonstrates his grace in our lives. This is why when the Apostle Paul was experiencing some kind of great suffering, which he called his thorn in the flesh, and he prayed, and yet God did not answer his prayer by removing it, the Lord told him that his grace was sufficient. In other words, God would graciously give him what he needed. And what was that? Strength to endure this affliction. He gave him strength to endure this affliction. And every time you need God's strength, he gives it to you. This is his grace in your life, his unmerited undeserved kindness. Now, when Luke tells us then that Stephen was a man who was full of grace, he means that like God, Stephen was kind. He was giving. His life was characterized by being gracious and loving. The fact that he was actually involved in performing miracles of healing, that tells us a great deal about the compassion of this man in bestowing grace upon others. And later, we see his incredible kindness surface again, when instead of being filled with rage and a desire for vengeance at those men who were throwing down stones upon him, torturously murdering him, notice how gracious he is. The end of Acts 7, verse 60, then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. And having said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Listen, To be full of grace like Stephen means that like Jesus, your life is characterized by giving to others and giving out of love for them. It means that instead of thinking only about yourself, you think about others and not with ulterior motives that I'll do this so they'll do this to me. 
No, you think about others. You do, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2, you esteem others more important than yourself. And you do that by humbly serving them and their interests. So how does one become this gracious so as to be so kind, even to those who mistreat you and are unkind to you? You do it by remembering how gracious and kind God has been to you. In Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36, Jesus tells us to be gracious in our giving to others. Even to our enemies, he tells us to do that. Why? Because he says that's the way that God is. He's kind to ungrateful and evil people like us. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, but love your enemies and do good and lend. He means loaning the money, expecting nothing in return. You don't give to get. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself, this is how God is, he's kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So if you're going to be full of grace like Stephen, then it means you have to stop thinking about yourself. You have to stop thinking about yourself. You have to think hard and deeply about how kind the Lord has been to you. Only those who have experienced God's grace in their lives and are aware of how gracious God has been to them will be gracious to others. Otherwise, you're going to live for yourself. You're going to treat others with anger, with contempt, if they disrupt your life. That's the way the world acts. Believers are not to be like that at all. But in addition to being full of grace, we see another virtue in Stephen's life, which we've already touched on, and that is he was a man of spiritual power. Verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, as I mentioned, according to the, and we went over this several months ago, but I'll remind you, according to the New Testament, only apostles were given the ability to perform miracles. And the reason for this is spelled out in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't do miracles today. It just means there are no apostles that he's doing miracles through. There are no men that he's given this gift to that do this. But here's the reason. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle, Paul said, were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. How would you know who is a true apostle? Paul said, well, they would do miracles and signs. If everybody could do that, then it wouldn't make any sense. You wouldn't know who a true apostle was. Only the apostles could do this. But Stephen was not an apostle. Yet we read that he was doing apostolic type miracles. And the same is true of his deacon colleague, Philip, which we will read about in Acts chapter 8, that he did miracles in Samaria. So why were these men able to do miracles like the apostles? As I said earlier, it apparently is because their ministry was so linked and so associated with the apostles that they were essentially an extension of the apostles. And so Stephen, working closely with the 12 apostles, had experienced the same gift. God had given him the same gift, the power to heal others, so that he was full of spiritual power. As I've told you before, the miracles that the apostles did, they were not ends in and of themselves. They were done for the purpose of authenticating them, verifying them as Christ's true ambassadors. So they didn't simply do miracles and then stop at that, say, look at me, I did a miracle. No, they also preached the gospel. 
because the miracles verified that they represented Christ and that the message they spoke was from him. Miracles and gospel preaching always went hand in hand. And I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The writer says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, watch this, Jesus gave the message of salvation first. It was confirmed to us by those who heard. That's the apostles. The writer is saying, Jesus spoke it. The apostles then passed it on to us. Verse 4, God also testifying with them. With who? The apostles. Both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So the apostles told them about salvation, and then they did miracles that authenticated them as the authorized representatives of Jesus Christ. Once again, another excellent verse-by-verse broadcast. Pastor Steve Kreloff had a few thoughts toward the end of today's program that really spoke to me. Allow me to put them in my own words. If I am going to be full of grace like Stephen, then I must stop thinking about myself. Instead, I need to focus my thoughts on how kind the Lord has been to me. If not, then I'm going to live for myself. I will treat others with anger and contempt if they disrupt my life. (laughs) To me, those words were sobering. I hope you can tune in for the next verse-by-verse broadcast as our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, will once again take us to Acts chapter 6, where we will learn about the life of Stephen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.